1: Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and its associated publications, one step off the grid and the EV focus, the driven. And joining me, as usual as he does every week, David Leach from ITK Services. David, I uh, trust you are well.
2: Ah, uh, yes, for this our second podcast of 2023, and uh, we're off. To, uh, it's another big week, uh, Giles. Uh, everything from uh, uh, Barnaby Joyce, hydrogen in South Australia, uh, federal government for Labor fighting with the Greens. Maybe what goes around seems to come around.
1: It does indeed. Look, before we get into some of the news of the week, let's focus on green hydrogen in South Australia. Uh, which you just mentioned. Um, We've got a great interview coming up with uh, Sam Crafter. He's the chief executive of Hydrogen South Australia. He's essentially a South Australia's hydrogen czar. And um, he's an interesting guy because he led a task force to put in what was then an improbable project, the uh, 100 megawatt Hornsdale battery project, and is now doing something equally improbable in many eyes, um, a government-owned green hydrogen facility, including a 250-megawatt electrolyzer and a 200-megawatt hydrogen power plant. Anyway, let's hear from Sam Crafter, the Chief Executive of Hydrogen Australia. Sam Crafter, thanks very much for joining the Energy Insiders
3: podcast. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Hydrogen has, it's the big thing, of course, um, across the energy industry at the moment. Um, A lot of discussion about what it's going to be useful for and what it's not going to be useful for. There's quite a well-known ladder of opportunities. I think it's been put by uh, Michael Liebrecht, the founder of um, Bloomberg New Energy Finance. And it's got some industrial applications at the top there saying, yes, this is where it makes sense. And it has some things down the bottom and saying, not in your Nelly, um, not quite his words. Um, Hydrogen power stations and balancing of renewables finds itself down the bottom there. Why would a hydrogen power station make sense then in South Australia?
3: So South Australia um, obviously has had a, a rapid trajectory in growth in renewable generation over the last 15 years. So we're up to uh, just over 69% of our energy mix comes from renewables here um, in South Australia. And so uh, what we need is uh, more dispatchable power in South Australia to be able to work um, in tandem with that renewable generation as it continues to come online and continues to grow. Uh, and so um, the, the I guess the challenge is then how do you fuel a dispatchable power um, uh, station. How do you how do you build um, power that can be turned on and off? But and then how do you fuel that? And so the government here has committed to using hydrogen to do that, and that's obviously on the back of being able to produce green hydrogen from those renewables. Uh, and I guess the other element for South Australia is, um, in doing that, you can demonstrate technology that can produce uh, hydrogen at scale, but then also use it in power generation at scale, and and be a world leader in doing that. So I think the government has a history of. Here in south australia of looking to be a leader in technology development um, in the renewable space um, we did that obviously with the uh, storage projects that we've done uh, in the past around um, the big battery that uh, neo and tesla built here the government went out to market looking for a grid scale battery when that grid scale batteries you know didn't exist uh, and i think that's the same sort of philosophy obviously it's very different in terms of project delivery and technology but but the philosophy is can we um, can we set a challenge for industry and will industry respond um, and be able to build it a grid scale and then see more developments after this first project that we're doing comes through? so but it's about having um, it's about having more dispatchable power and the government's chosen to be able to capitalize on that renewable generation, produce green hydrogen and fuel the power station with that green hydrogen. so I mean you're looking at I guess a, a form of renewable firming is what we're looking to do so yeah.
1: Yeah, no, no the, the idea sounds very attractive and just wondering whether there's other technologies which might be better. Um, one of the big differences, of course, between the Hornsdale battery, um, which is the South Australian government, um, yes, there's a lot of scepticism at the time about whether it was a good idea or not. I guess the d- big difference there is that you wrote a contract with the Hornsdale battery and it was built sort of with private funds um, by and large. This is different, this is government ownership, so I kind of, so, so from that point of view, it's a yet sort of government sort of entering into the market. You've had some modelling done for you by Frontier Economics, and it's quite interesting. It's just talking about the operations during the day. You've got electrolyzer being switched on at times of the day, particularly during the the, uh, the middle of the day, soaking up some of that excess sort of rooftop solar and, and, and grid-scale solar, and then actually switch on, switching the electrolyzer off and then using the power station then to meet sort of peak demand um, times in the evening, and that would be roughly the way it would work. Is there any sense yet from that modelling about whether it actually be that's actually a profitable thing to do, or is it an economic thing to do?
3: Yeah, look. So we um, we asked Frontier to do that piece of work um, and and to look at how you would would um, or at some scenarios and how you would look to operate the plant. I guess we're I'm very conscious as well that we are we are out to market at the moment. Um, we've got an RFP in place and uh, have looking for responses by the middle of March and. Um, so what we put forward in that modelling, um, as part of that package, was um, a scenario of how the plant could operate. Um, it's not the only way that it'll operate, and and obviously the technology solutions vary, and that varies down on how you would operate the plant as well. But it does um, it does prove that that would be um, a, a profitable um, a way to operate um, a power station in South Australia. What what we I guess the the other thing from a state perspective that we are, the other challenge that's coming rapidly at South Australia is around um, the minimum demand um, issues with the growth of renewables in the middle of the day, particularly um, in some weather conditions and some um, days in the fringe um, periods in sort of uh, autumn and spring. And so having a a very large flexible load like an electrolyser um, really can help to manage that. And obviously operating that at those periods also is part of the, um, the management of the system and the grid security here in South Australia. So having that flexible load also provides a pretty significant role and opportunity for the state. So that, that decision will also help to, uh, that role will also be a part of the decision making on, on how best to operate the plant.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. We're taking one more question before I'm giving David a, a chance, sorry David. Um, just with 250, so you're proposing a 250 megawatt electrolyzer and a 200 megawatt power station. So, two hundred and fifty megawatt electrolyzer, How much renewable input does that need for it to work at its maximum capacity? So two hundred and fifty megawatts. You did more than that to, to to sort of get it ticking over and and, and produce the hydrogen because you're, um, they're not the most efficient process. So, you, I mean, uh, have you worked out how much wind and solar you need going into that electrolyzer to to make it run at that capacity?
3: Yeah. So. Um we have done some, some work around that. I think the other element here is that um, we are looking to, um, uh, we're also seeking, um, uh, it's a defined package around hydrogen offtake because during the market sounding that we ran through the course of last year, there was uh, a lot of industry that are looking to be able to utilise uh, hydrogen or, or in its derivative products um, such as ammonia um, in South Australia. Um, and, you know, over the over the, you know, the, the um, period from from 2026 when we'll have the, the green hydrogen being produced in South Australia, you know, moving forward over different timeframes and, and different amounts they're looking to use. So there's a range of industries that can utilise um, that. And so what we're trying to really understand is um, who's looking to use hydrogen, when they're looking to use it, and, and what are they looking to, uh, to be able to pay for that? Because what we would want to be able to do, ideally, is operate the electrolyzer in a way that not only meets the needs of the power station, um, and that depends on the model we are talking about earlier. Um, so obviously there's less hydrogen needed um, if you're just operating in, um, in peak periods for short bursts for the power station uh, operations. Um, but obviously if we are in a situation where there's significant demand for hydrogen, and we're able to operate the electrolyzer to produce hydrogen in excess of the needs for the power station, uh, then that would lead to a different um, different way of operating the electrolyzer, and, and obviously the need for more um, more um, electricity, more renewables to be able to be contracted to be um, to run the electrolyzer.
2: So Sam, I, for the benefit of our readers who have to remind themselves about hydrogen every now and then, and a lot of these topics are fairly new, um, I wanted to cover two areas. Roughly, uh, the first one is just about the making of green hydrogen and a couple of the numbers involved. And the second area I wanted to cover is the sort of comparison with other technologies that could use this green energy like pumped hydro or batteries, for instance, uh, in South Australia. So if I just covered off on the uh, introductory technical numbers first, Am I correct in saying that for current technology, it takes about five kilowatt hours of uh, electricity to produce one kilogram of hydrogen?
3: Uh, yeah, I th- uh, um, I'll have to check the exact numbers, but it, it is um, it, that sounds about right to me. Um, I can get the the technical team here to, no. to provide some info following up if you no, like. No, no, yeah, no, no. Sure.
2: That, that, that's that's no need to do that yep. uh, and I think with some changes in the process that have been uh, electrolyzer process there's the theoretical uh, minimum amount of uh, electricity that you could use is four kilowatt hours so there's scope to improve the efficiency of the electrolyzer uh, that, by that much. Yeah. One of the things thing just un-
3: quickly one of the things on that um, where we do have an advantage in South Australia is our coincident wind and solar so um, that means that we can get much higher efficiency for the production of hydrogen uh, because we have the, the solar and wind patterns um, that complement each other. Um, so that is an advantage that South Australia has in that production. Um, sure, so we'd be looking to get more efficiency.
2: That goes to the electrolyzer capacity utilisation, which is a whole different uh, topic, but you're still going to need that much electricity, mm-hmm. uh, assuming you can keep it running all the time for every yep. kilogram. The second number, I think... Uh, uh, our listeners would benefit from understanding is that you need about seven kilograms of hydrogen to get one gigajoule of energy. Uh, so this is where you can do the uh, 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 um, and, and and this is where you can do the comparison. With uh, gas, so we know what sure. the price of gas is. It's the kind of standard metric, and <laughs> a very much discussed one, I might add. Yes. Uh, but uh, and the base is 12, 12 gigajoules. So you need seven kilograms of, um, of, of of hydrogen to get you one gigajoule. Is that? Would you agree with that number? Broadly speaking, is that one in your head?
3: Yeah, yeah, yep. That's um, I think that's about the mark of the stuff that we're we're working on here.
2: So if we multiply seven by five, five uh, kilowatt hours and, and seven kilograms, and work all the arithmetic through, I think you can find that you need about 0.35 of a megawatt hour, seven times five uh, of electricity to get your kilogram of, of, of hydrogen. And that, that's the way I think about it. Plus, you then, of course, also have to uh, deal with the uh, capital costs of the um, electrolyzer uh, and sure. whatever else you're going to do with the hydrogen uh, afterwards. You actually also need uh, a turbine uh, that can run on hydrogen if you're going to run a power station, which is also relatively novel, of course. Uh, have I said anything you would disagree with so far?
3: No, no, no. Obviously, there's fuel cell technology as well, but. Um that we're seeing interest from uh, from the market in providing. But yeah, the turbines or fuel cells are d- yeah, obviously different elements and how they operate. But yeah, the, obviously that technology is available as well, yeah.
2: So uh, I'm just... Um, uh, so if you think that the price of electricity in South Australia at the moment is mostly set by gas, as it is across all Australia, and it's likely that in the first instance Uh, the green hydrogen will be more expensive than gas. How how is the government thinking about that in terms of the price of electricity? So
3: we... um, Well, I I guess an element of um, what the government is looking... Well, so the the government's commitment uh, around how the power station will be operated is to be able to firm renewables for... Industrial customers, so we and there's a range of ways that we could utilise the power station to do that, and we're doing a significant piece of work on that um, at the moment um, to be able to understand what the best options are to be able to drive down the cost of power for industrial users in South Australia, uh, and so um, so that um, you know that analysis is is probably going to be needed to inform the answer to your question, but we are um, so we are looking at being able to um, To operate their power station um, at the right periods of time you know it might be that um, we do that through um, mechanisms like cap contracts and some of the mechanisms that are currently used in the market it might be that there's other ways that we could look to operate the the power station to be able to do that Um, and I think that um, we are that you've got these dual purposes one is to do to do that and the other is to try and stimulate the hydrogen the use of hydrogen in the industry in South Australia so that's how we're looking to utilize that um, and what we are looking to do and, and I guess the advantage of having um, that dispatchable generation um, uh, does, you know South Australia um, has a lot of battery um, storage projects coming online which is very helpful uh, they work in a shorter time frame uh, than um, is sometimes needed Um, we also have uh, we would you know welcome pump storage developments we haven't seen that yet in south australia um, uh, materialize Um, but i think that um, that having that dispatchable generation um, provides the flexibility to be able to balance out the renewables as we go through through that transition Um, and so that's where the government has seen that gap and is looking to do that and and they've made a decision a policy decision um, that they want to um, use hydrogen and drive the growth of hydrogen as an industry, and drive the technology around that, and prove it out at scale. Uh, and that they're prepared to um, invest in doing that. Obviously, it's a six hundred million dollar commitment from the government to be able to do that. Uh, and then, um, uh, and so our job is work to, to go through and work out exactly how best to operate that in the market to be able to drive down those costs. So yeah, that's yeah.
2: Yeah, I hear that, and 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 I applaud, on the one hand, the, the government taking the initiative on, on hydrogen, because it's quite clear to me, or at least I think it's clear, that the economics aren't going to work unless the government uh, bears a lot of the cost. Uh, because, yeah. But the, the other thing is, you, you could have put the $600 million just as a policy decision into pumped hydro, and I bet you would have had a couple of pumped hydro plants maybe uh, as the Queensland government has chosen to do for instance even though they've got lots of hydrogen up there uh, I just wondered how how are you aware of how the government was thinking about that
3: uh look um, obviously this was a decision that was made in the you know in the lead up to an election and and uh, and you know I wasn't privy to all of the policy making and thinking that was done by the then opposition, which is the now government, um, and so obviously you know I'm sure they would be able to talk to some of this. But I think that um, the um, I think that you know look if you look at the if you look at the ISP, um, it's quite clear that dispatchable generation is needed, and I think that there's an issue emerging or we're seeing where um, duration um, is a challenge as well as we look to manage not only peak demand in South Australia, which has been a problem. Uh, or a challenge um, for us over time in those hot summer days, but now also, um, you know, looking to tackle uh, periods of renewable drought, um, which is having an impact on us in South Australia, probably in a greater sense than others because of the penetration of renewables that we have. So if we're seeing, you know, week long events like we have seen recently where um, there isn't that high level of renewables, um, then um, that's where you need that longer duration form, even more so than pump storage. And I think that's why, having a diversified mix, uh, and we, we're not seeing um, at this point in time, um, you know, for quite some time now in South Australia, we haven't seen that investment in the um, dispatchable power generation, and I think that obviously is part of the, what's, what's driven the government's um, government's thinking. Um, the yeah, Previously, when they were in government, they built 276 megawatts uh, of, of power generation, um, so you know, we were. Uh, we had a project team at that point in time which delivered the battery, but at the same time that power generation, which was, um, you know, it, uh, operated um, as an emergency outside of the market. Uh, and obviously with the change in cycle, um, as happens, um, that has now been um, on long-term lease arrangements back out in the market and operating. So, uh, you know, I think the government was keen to make sure that there was an element of um, dispatchable generation that they could control how it operated as we move through the, the transition um, and try and help. Accelerate that transition, but also make it a smooth transition, as smooth as possible. So it's really in between the lines then, it's effectively kind of like a bit of a lost
1: leader to sort of, sort of develop the hydrogen industry at scale in, in, in South Australia. And I, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, so what sort of people are responding to this sort of request for proposals? Presumably they're, because the government's going to own this um, facility, presumably they're mostly um, equipment manufacturers, people who can build electrolysers, people who can build hydrogen power stations and things like that. But although you are obviously seeking contracts for offtakes and things like that, is that, is that roughly the case?
3: So we've had a um, we've had a really really exciting amount of interest, um, which is fantastic. I think we've had over 200 you know downloads of um, the documentation, and, and people from right across the industry and right across um, the world have have shown interest, which is great. So yes, there is equipment supply uh, and manufacturers, um, uh, different forms of um, hydrogen production technology that we're seeing. We're also seeing different forms of generation, um, you know. Turbine and fuel cell people that are interested, um, uh, well, you know, that are currently telling us they're interested in and uh, in participating, and obviously we, we'll, you know, we'll see how we go. when the fortnight of March comes around, and 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 what comes forward. I think there's two, the, the two sort of, um, one is that model where we uh, have equipment supplies, but we're also seeing um, a lot of interest from other. Projects um, that are looking to develop hydrogen for, you know, perhaps um, for their own ammonia use or other issues, um, and they've expressed interest in working with the government as well um, to be able to, I guess, collaborate in different ways and um, forms and put forward ideas on how the government could perhaps um, they could work with the government and deliver, um, you know, perhaps a bigger outcome in terms of hydrogen production or other things for South Australia, and obviously the. Um, we've enabled a pathway for you know, that more of a uh, partnership model, perhaps you might want to call it, um, for people to put forward. Now, obviously, that would be something that the government would have to consider see that it meets their requirements and, and what that looks like. Uh, and, and I guess it would need to provide significant additional benefit to South Australians. But um, there is a pathway for people to put forward ideas that fit more into that realm. And then there's obviously the equipment supply pathway. Uh, and we've seen interest in, in, in all of those. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and there's also more development happening at uh, Port Bonithon too, which was another initiative under the previous government, um, creating yep. a hydrogen hub here. Can you sort of um, give us a bit of a, um, an update about what is happening here and what you hope to see happen?
3: Yeah, so Port um is, the, um is about 20 kilometres from Wyala, um, uh, up in the top of the Air Peninsula. And what um, that has, um, or for quite some time now, there's a facility that Santos have there um, a fractionation plant where they separate out some of the liquids and uh, export those. Uh, there's a two-kilometer jetty, existing jetty there, and there's also a um, a diesel import um, uh, facility and storage uh, at Port Burryton as well. But um, a very large portion of the land, um, uh, other than those two facilities, is government-owned uh, land, and so. Um, In the last couple of years, the government's gone through a process to seek interest in that land and uh, and overwhelmingly the interest came back from, in fact, I think it was almost entirely hydrogen project interest um, around that area. And So there's a process that was run and uh, seven different proponents um, have been shortlisted and are working through um, terms with government on on accessing that land at the moment. And um, a large number of those proponents are looking to um, produce hydrogen and ammonia for export. Uh, and there's also um, projects looking at um, producing um, MCH um, for export as well. so they're export focused um, there and that um, so the government um, the federal government selected Port Benethan as one of their um, hydrogen hub um, export hub uh, funding through their funding uh, arrangements um, about 12 months ago maybe a little bit longer uh, and so that there's a 70 million dollar commitment there from the federal government. The state government uh, put a 30 million dollar commitment in there, and then they've um, yeah, there's negotiations underway for some match funding from those proponents as well. Mm. So, what that is uh, is likely to focus on is the common user infrastructure required to be able to to export um, mm. product from that facility, uh, and so that uh, is what currently. The government's working on the plans on how best to do that um, and, and the best way to look at the jetty infrastructure and some of the different elements of mm-hmm. doing that to see if we can fast-track export of those products um, from Port Penitha in South Australia. Uh, and and yeah. we've got another... Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, there's another um, uh, private-led um, uh, hub, if you like, or, or project uh, over further round on the Air Peninsula, um, and that's at Cape Hardy where... Um, there's a proponent that's um, looking for a greenfield port development there, and they've also had significant interest from hydrogen players, and uh, I know they're going through a shortlisting process. But they're looking to do a, um, a hydrogen and grain uh, jetty facility, uh, and then obviously there's a um, an iron ore project associated with that group, and, and potentially that would come online um, over time as well. So, so there's quite a lot of activity, um, yeah.
1: Hydrogen and grain. <laughs> Hydrogen and green jetty sounds sounds intriguing.
2: <laughs> I just wanted to come back to the electrolyzer sure. and the power yep. station and the time frame, because I think you're aiming to get this this up and running by 2025. Is that right?
3: Yes, the end of 2025 is when we're targeting to have it uh, operating. That's right.
2: So, well, at least we're... it'll be ahead of the nuclear submarines. So uh, that's a good <laughs> good start. About 30 years ahead of them. Um, um... So. So look, it's a, it's the
3: deliberately ambitious um, time frame. There, we, we we're out to market before Christmas. We're looking to get those responses in March. Um, we have um, said to the market um, as recently as last week in, in an update that we did that we are looking to progress our evaluation um, and shortlisting and and negotiation process very quickly over the coming months, so that by um, July this year we are um, awarded and and contracted um, with the party that we're looking to work with to go forward to deliver the facilities, which means that we can get into the detailed design work uh, and you know and look to start construction by the end of this year um, or early next year. Just obviously you know that's the intention so that we give ourselves the runway um, to be able to meet that time frame of the end of 2025. Uh, and obviously we we've um, you know we're also looking at ways in which we could. Um, secure equipment and things like that in a, even ahead of that time potentially yeah, well, Let's just talk um, about yeah.
2: the equipment because I just observe how fast that time frame is compared to even an LNG project or compared to Snowy 2 or compared to the Queensland pumped hydro projects just, just as a comparison that yeah. it, uh, but you know let's talk about the electrolyzers that you use for this uh, I think it's 250 megawatts is um, I I haven't really been keeping up with my hydrogen routing as much as I should have. But what commercially? What's do you have a a view on what the biggest operating electrolyzer is for making hydrogen already around the world? I don't seem to recall that there are any of that size. But I'm but I'm probably missing the picture.
3: No, no, no. That's absolutely right. So um, this this project is an order of magnitude bigger than the existing. So in Europe. I know there's projects of about 20 megawatt scale. I think some of them now are pushing towards 30 or 40 megawatts. Um, there's a lot of projects that are committed for um, for larger scale but are not yet um, there or, you know, going through their initial planning and, and feasibility work. So, um, again, this, this comes back to... Um, Back to an opportunity. I think you know you've in Tonsley, in, in south of Adelaide, we've got a 1.25 megawatt electrolyzer, which is currently the largest in Australia, and that's providing um, a blending hydrogen into the the gas network here in the southern suburbs of Adelaide, uh, and scaling up. It's uh, it's I think it's currently about a thousand homes, and scaling up to a couple of thousand shortly. So. Um, so that's sort of the the current operating model here in Australia. In Europe, they've got to that 20 megawatt scale. And then everyone is talking about, or not everyone, but a lot of people are now talking about, well, how do we get to that gigawatt scale where you can really drive efficiencies and, and look at that large scale production. Um, but there's not really many projects um, at the moment, or there's none that are delivered, and there's not many um, lining up at that next stepping stone, which is where we think the 250 megawatt fits in. Uh, And that's why we are um, very happy with the interest we've had globally from those equipment suppliers and others about wanting to be in a project that can deliver it at that scale and effectively provide and prove it out at that scale, which then gives the launching pad to get to those larger scale projects that the industry is is rushing towards. Uh, So we think that's an advantage that we have uh, there. um, And we're looking for partners that are willing to work to that ambitious timeframe that we have. Um, And from a South Australian perspective, we Um, Again, um, really do see a first mover advantage here. There's obviously a lot of projects around Australia as well. Um, You know, different states have different uh, hydrogen related strategies and, and are supporting industry in different ways. And there's a whole lot of really exciting activity. And I think if you think about a global sense, the amount of hydrogen that's predicted to be required, um, you know, should see many hydrogen projects in, in Australia having, you know, more than enough markets um, to develop and get away. Um, but from our perspective, we're really keen on on hitting that time frame, and we think that um, being in the middle of the country, um, that if we can get uh, this project built and up and running, we can attract supply yeah. chain, you know, potentially.
2: Well, Sam, um, not, it's the middle of the country, but it's also the south of the country, I would say, it where is. it comes to export so, markets. Yep. But, but, but let, let, I just want to ask one more quick question um, It uh, makes me smile how ambitious South Australia is. And I think that's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, the other question I wanted to ask is just about the power station technology. So for instance, Paul Broad, who's not everyone's hero, uh, was reluctant to put hydrogen into his uh, gas-fired power station in, in New South Wales and in Newcastle because he said the technology wasn't wasn't ready yet. Uh, again, I'm not aware of any power stations actually running on hydrogen. Um, can, what can you say about the technology and availability and all that stuff?
3: Yeah, sure. So we've been, um, you know, obviously actively engaged with the, the turbine technology um, manufacturers and also the fuel cell manufacturers. So... What we um, are seeing is that there is, um, I think, uh, probably could be best described as a bit of a, a, you know, there's a clear focus from the turbine manufacturers on um, having hydrogen um, ready turbines and hydrogen turbines. So some of the manufacturers uh, are very confident um, uh, and sort of starting at a a 30% amount. Others are are pushing more towards 70 plus percent um, in that 2020 five time frame that we're talking to um, and and then obviously then everyone i think is pushing between 2025 and 2030 to have 100% hydrogen um, utilization. So what we are looking to do is to maximize the amount of hydrogen that we can get if, if we end up with a, a turbine based solution, um, then we'd be looking to do that and obviously have um, you know, commitments to get to the, the 100% as quickly as we could. Um, so, so look, we're, we're at the, the, the leading um, or bleeding edge of that technology as well. Um, but again, it will be a significant amount of hydrogen that we're using in the generation should we end up in a, in, with a turbine solution.
2: Sam, it's been a fantastic uh, uh, presentation of of what is uh, a totally ambitious project, in my opinion. But that's the sort of thing I guess governments uh, should be doing. Yeah. Look, um, i
1: sorry. I just um, I uh, forgot to hit the unmute button, so I got caught out. Caught out again. Uh, Sam, just um, before we sort of wind up, um, you also mentioned some um, some sort of I think you described it as sort of a rather landmark renewables legislation. It's been um prepared to go through parliament in south australia can you just sort of talk about the important well, what's being planned and why that's important
3: yeah absolutely so i think um you know with the interest in hydrogen obviously becomes the interest um in the development of the larger scale renewables that are required to you know as we talked about earlier for hydrogen production facilities we're going to need um you know a lot more renewable generation and you know that's the other element that um, from a South Australian perspective, you know, we've got this enormous pipeline of renewable projects that simply won't get developed if it's just about our our use of energy for our own industry, etc. And so um, hydrogen provides the opportunity for that development and uh, and in doing that there are um, significant amounts of land that is uh, government owned um, and, uh, you know, um, crown land and, and pastoral land and other things there. So for area that our land that fits into that area, the government is putting in place um, an arrangement where, I guess, if you like, we, I think South Australia um, has been seen as um, a leader in the regulation and um, of oil and gas for quite some time, and and obviously in the mining space as well. Um, so we're using that similar framework um, and a one-window-to-government sort of model where proponents are able to engage um, and then the department then manages and comes back manages the rest of the government engagement but but what we're looking to do is um, to put to market um, renewable um, lease areas um, areas where um, and we can have people then bid if you like on the ability to develop those renewables so I guess we're we're making sure that the the value of the renewables that we're doing. You know, we're doing pre-work around you know, wind uh, and uh, uh, you know quality and, and sort of trying to assess the renewable areas. Um, but then we're putting it out to market to try and make sure that we maximise the value for South Australia from that development of those renewables. So the high priority is um, we have everyone uh, engaged in a process so that we can um, assess what's been put forward and then get that developed in an orderly fashion um, to be able to unlock that um, for the projects that are there. So that's been something that's been... Um, discussed for um, a period of time through the course of last year, one of the really important elements of that is that we've been able to have um, really detailed discussions with um, the traditional owners um, uh, and a range of traditional owner groups here in South Australia. Because obviously, um, when you're talking about at scale renewable development, um, you know you're not going to be able to do that unless you're you're doing that in partnership with the traditional owners. Because you know it is a significant amount of wind and solar that um, will need to be constructed to. To be involved in these projects, so um, we've really been able to focus our engagement and planning around um, doing, getting that engagement right up front, and getting those the input from from those groups as to what they would like to see from a cultural heritage perspective, from a native title perspective. Um, and we've also been able to do some work around the environmental elements, uh, and then we're really looking to package um, that up. There's a there's a discussion paper out at the moment. I think the 10th of February next week. Um, feedback is wrapped up on that, and then we look to move the the team in energy and mining that are running this are looking to move quickly uh, to some draft legislation um, and uh, and get that into the parliament this year uh, and ideally have those lease areas um, you know operating as soon as possible after that so um, so yeah it it puts a framework around that it'll be um, from an industry perspective it will enable people to start with their renewable development they will also be able to, under that same legislative framework, get approvals for their hydrogen production facility, uh, and uh, and if it's for an export purpose, um, then also the derivative product production um, and out over the jetty. So it's a sort of uh, end-to-end framework for legislation from renewables through to hydrogen, yeah. And, and, and so what's the scale then of renewables development
1: that you're talking about um, in South Australia then? Because right now you've got about two gigawatts, give or take, um, We'll probably have well over two gigawatts now of large-scale renewables. You've got well over a gigawatt of rooftop solar. So, what are we what are we looking towards? I think in the past it's been talked about twelve gigawatts or up to fifteen gigawatts. I think it's been described as like five hundred percent renewables. And South Australia is to take advantage of this green hydrogen opportunity. Those are those the sort of numbers that you're still sort of imagining at the moment as you're working through you know these sort of you know, three different things, the hydrogen
3: power station. I, I think so. Those numbers. Um yeah the larger numbers definitely correlate with the pipeline of projects that we have, uh, and obviously I think that'll be um, you know obviously developed over time um, to match the growth in the hydrogen production. but if you're looking at you know the the seven different project proponents that we have at Port Bernithan, um, then uh, you know that is going to be a really large scale you you're gonna be talking gigawatts um, happening quite quickly. um if they're looking to have projects, um, most of them are looking at having their projects. Um, up and away between 2027, 20, 2030, 20, 2025 to twenty thirty, um, and so in that period, then you would need to see, um, yeah, more, you know, gigawatts worth of development of renewables to be able to feed those those elements. So it's um, it's really about that broader industry opportunity and putting the framework in place now to enable industry to come in and develop that at the scale in which it's needed, um, but do it in a way that's obviously responsible and uh, and is. Um, you know is it brings the community with us on that journey um to make sure that um that we can do that in a responsible way and, and in a way that everyone is comfortable with as we see the growth of the industry yeah
2: so giles i i just observed that if you ran a 250 megawatt uh, electrolyzer flat out 24 24 7 365 then, then you would need about um, uh, 600 and some 50 megawatts of electricity that was also running at the same rate. But if you take into account the variability of renewable energy, then you probably need uh, closer to two gigawatts of actual green energy to get that constant output. If I can put it that way, I mean the the point is the input also needs to be firmed up or else the capacity utilization of the electrolyzer goes down and, and the unit costs go up but anyway that's all all, all the good stuff to talk about uh, over another coffee
1: yeah that actually makes it that's interesting because that's sort of modeling by frontier economics is interesting about the way they actually see the electrolyzer sort of being used um, you know sort of sometimes at night but a lot during the day but um Sam, look, it's fascinating. I mean, South Australia is obviously a leader in um, renewables and wind and solar um, and battery storage um, on so many levels, and it looks like it's now pushing the boundaries on green hydrogen, particularly with the power plants and the electrolyzer. I mean, um, it's sort of ten, ten times bigger, as you sort of uh, said in your discussions with David about the the, uh, the the biggest one currently being contemplated in Europe. So. Um, Thanks very much for joining us, and and um, going to be fascinating to see the results of this um, of this tender, and um, and the progress you guys are making um, with all the component bits, you know, electrolyzers, power stations, green energy projects. Um, it's going to be fascinating.
3: Yeah, look, thank you very much for for your time and for, for having me on to talk a little bit about it, and obviously very keen to keep in touch as things develop. And um, yeah, look, we're very excited. Um, it's a it's a very exciting place to be working with. Um, to be, um, I guess, at the forefront and, and leading on a project like this is a sort of pretty unique opportunity. So we've got a got a great team that are all geared up and, uh, yeah, we look forward to, to keeping you updated as we move along.
1: Because uh, yeah, you were involved with the Hornsdale thing too at the time, weren't you? Weren't you? I mean, they must have all Yeah,
3: you crazy. so I did lead the, the government's task force that, that put that in place, yeah.
1: They would have caught you crazy at the time then?
3: They certainly did. Um, we, uh, there was, I mean, obviously there was a lot of, um, and and yeah, you know, I mean, I think um, I think everyone was sceptical, and um, we had to just, well, I mean, even I mean, everyone, um, there's a general assumption at times that the battery somehow got waved through approvals, and in fact, it was very much the other way. I mean, AMO were adamant that there was no way, you know, a, a very big battery was going on a very weak part of their network with without all the work being done, so. Um, yeah really that was able to be achieved in a quick time frame because everyone piled in to do the work and, and obviously when you're working with large organizations like um, neo and Tesla they can tap into international teams to be able to work around the clock and do modeling and and all of that but it was a um, you know that was a really exciting project and it's um, obviously seen a bit of a template that's been used uh, elsewhere in Australia and around the world so yeah look it's something that, that we're all very proud of being involved in and, and I guess that's part of the Part of the motivation to grab hold of this challenge and see if we can do something else exciting. So,
1: yeah. Fascinating stuff. Well, we'd, we'd love to deep dive into that one as well. But um, anyway, look, Sam uh, Crafter, thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
1: And that was Sam Crafter, the Chief Executive of um, Hydrogen South Australia. Um, David. Really interesting interview. Um, I do go back and remember when the Tesla big battery was first proposed at Hornsdale, and Aemo had come out just a couple months earlier and said they could not imagine any circumstances in which a battery more than one megawatt could possibly be of any use to the, on the grid. And we, shortly after, we within six months we had a hundred megawatt, one hundred twenty nine megawatt hour battery, and now we've got about four times the size and going even bigger. Um, is the green hydrogen power plant as impossible as it may seem at this stage? <laughs> Likely to follow the same path?
2: Uh, look, green hydrogen uh, may well be a, a thing one day and so may hydrogen power plants. Uh, personally, I think the timetable uh, for this is wildly optimistic and there are just too many risks. It's, it's great that the South Australian government is doing it uh, personally as a New South Wales taxpayer. I'm very happy for them to uh, ca- carry that torch forward.
1: Well it's going to be interesting to see, we'll find out in a month or so what the response was and then we'll just find out after that whether they're actually going to meet the timetable but as Sam said it's about 10 times bigger than anything else that's being proposed in the world. So South Australia once again at the cutting end of technology Um, but it's certainly true that green hydrogen plans are immense in South Australia as they are throughout the rest of the country which Possibly brings us to another piece of news this week, um, David. In um, green hydrogen, and we've talked about Sun Cable before. Um, you've written another really good analysis about why Sun Cable, um, Sun Cable's proposed link to Singapore could actually be a, a good idea and could actually make money. Um, but Andrew Forrest begs to differ and really wants to buy that whole project just to make green hydrogen. But Mike Cannon-Brookes appears to be backing the cable link. Um, how do you see this? Um, the, the, uh, the sales process opened this week, and yes, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see what the result is.
2: Yeah, so I, I think there's an awful lot of um, fiction. Uh, people focus on certain headline numbers like 20 gigawatts uh, rather than the actual 2 gigawatts of power that, that Sun Cable was designed to deliver to South Australia, plus some extra to, to Darwin. Uh, The second thing I think people don't realise is how much progress the project had made on certain elements and one of the most, uh, I understand, one of the most uh, valuable assets that the project has is an easement that runs from where where the solar is going to be built uh, uh, along the existing uh, transmission corridor up to to Darwin for this new cable and getting that easement takes years of work if you wanted to get another one. Uh, so so that's, that's a very valuable asset. Look, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see uh, wh- where the project gets to. All I'd say is that as a private investor, as a share-broking analyst, uh, and I worked in the area for a long time, and I know how wrong I can be about how many things, but if I had to advise someone on where to put their money, I'd rather be putting it into this than green hydrogen in South Australia.
1: More oh, well, interesting. In that case, we shall be watched with great interest to see what the result um, is. Um, a few other interesting sort of little things to mention, just in passing. Um Mugger Solar Park, one of the very first um, solar facilities built in Australia, part of the ACT Government's 100% Renewable Scheme, um, Gotten absolutely very generous, well probably wasn't that generous at the time, but is you it know, gets $178 a megawatt hour fixed for 20 years. Um, that's not it doesn't have an inflation adjustment, so it is a sort of a flat price, so it probably diminishes over time. Um, somehow the owners, um uh, got themselves into trouble over the debt facility and got taken off them and has now been sold to a new investor with a new debt um, owner, Um, so that's worth mentioning, as is IKEA um, and its investment arm um, come in with a 15% stake on in um, uh, Golden Plains, which is the biggest um, land-based wind project in the Southern Hemisphere. I think the first stage is going to be built in Victoria, um, along with a very big battery, and it has plans to invest in more and um, also this week we've seen the formal opening of the ACT government's um, first big battery, it's a 10 megawatt, 20 megawatt hour facility in Canberra, will be followed by another big battery by Neoen, also in Canberra and as part of their sort of you know moving beyond 100% renewables going to sort of full electrification and having enough green energy to look after the powering of electric vehicles and kicking gas out of the homes and replacing them with um, electric appliances. David, I'm not too sure what else has caught your eye, but there certainly seems another bit of a shit fight over um, the safeguard mechanism.
2: Well, the, there, there is that, and there's the usual uh, fight between Labor and the Greens. Um, I think it's fair to say from the, from the companies, what, what's clear about the safeguard mechanism is that the companies that are affected by it are relatively happy with what Labor proposed. And the question is whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, probably we think they should be a bit unhappy about it. And uh, they probably are because they have to pay some money. And, and the thing, the, the, the discussion about it is that it's quite clear that in the early years, all the impacted companies are going to buy accu's to satisfy their obligations because there isn't that much technology uh, other than carbon capture storage to, or, or, and in aluminium, I don't know, in alumina, it's, it's a bit of a way off before you can really directly decarbonise. Uh, And yet that's what the need is. And then there's the question mark over the ACCUs about whether they're really genuine carbon carbon credits and what real difference you're actually making. All that said, it is a scheme that I think myself personally is actually worthy of support in these early years. Australia is probably not going to be the world leader at decarbonising steel. I suppose we could do carbon capture and storage for gas uh, uh, and, and get that underway. But in the end, that's not the problem with gas. The problem with gas is not the emissions or, or, or indeed with coal. It's not the emissions that uh, are created during its manufacturer or even during its transport, although in the case of coal, they're incredibly significant, but it's the emissions that are created when they're burnt. Really, if Australia is serious, we have to, uh, and this is where I agree with the Greens, but it's a very hard economic decision. We have to stop approving new coal and gas uh, projects, really. that's uh, That's what the world requires of Australia. That is the test. And I don't think the Labor government uh, is up to that test. And I think the reason, frankly, why Australians don't elect the Greens in in even bigger numbers is because they don't want Australia to do that, even though it's necessary. So this is a case somewhere down the track where some government is going to have to do what people don't want them to do right today for the sake of our, our children and future children. And along those lines, Giles, just before I hand back, I want to comment as someone that comes from New England, has been up there in Armidale twice in the past month. Uh, about this uh, wind farm that's proposed uh, around the Walker area uh, uh, and the ridiculous uh, opposition from the from the Barnaby Joyce uh, uh, um, led people. And just to observe that in my discussions in Armidale with people working on the sausage barbecue at a model playing competition I was with, there's a lot of support uh, for the money that these projects bring in, the economics, the jobs, you know, and the realization that the next time there's a drought that comes around, uh, the diversification of income that's provided to landowners and service providers, the improvement in property prices, uh, plus all the benefits with actually having decarbonising the grid are of great benefit to the New England region and well recognized by a lot of the people who aren't in the news uh, every day.
1: Yes, look. It seems extraordinary that this sort of this level of opposition and criticism um, continues, um, both from Barnaby Joyce, but also the Associated, you know, the Murdoch papers, the Institute of Public Affairs, you know, which says the safeguard mechanism is going to be the end of the economy, as we know it, the lights will go out, etc., um, etc. Et I mean, it just seems as as, as, you know, as this sort of transition towards green energy and things accelerates, and a lot of people sort of embrace that and see the opportunities and just you know see the see, see the value of that investment, then the complaints get louder. Um, just going back in the safeguards mechanism, you've got Angus Taylor. Chris Bonner was pointing this out on Twitter this week. He's overseas talking to European and other um, countries about green hydrogen, other, other sort of energy um, things. And he's just sort of pointing out that Angus Taylor actually proposed this scheme. is now going to vote against it. Uh, because the right wing wags the tail still of the coalition. Um, and just on that sort of thing that you were talking about, um, you know, with sort of investment, and uh, it was interesting to see Jim Chalmers, it's not directly related to energy and climate, but kind of it, it is, talking about this sort of values-based capitalism, which um, he was quite keen to promote, and just the pile-on that has come from some of the um, media companies, you know, in Fairfax, including the Sydney Morning Herald, the Fin Review, the Australian, it just seems as though Anything that diverts away from the idea that uh, business and investment should be anything other than just, you know, just there for the money and solely for the money is just completely anathema to them. And um, I just don't see us making much path forward um, or the, sort of the, the steps that we need to make um, without some sort of reconciliation of those views. But um, there's a very just brief observation.
2: Yes, Giles. Perhaps that's true, but I can also understand why business uh, and people are, are worried. Because you know the way the gas price cap and the coal price cap have been, in, or the uh, you know the government command directing the economy, um, uh, there is always room to improve capitalism. But you know I look at some um, uh, Germany, for instance, where gas prices were incredibly high. And uh, just over 12 months ago, something like 40, 50, 60 percent of Germany's gas came from Russia. And today zero gas uh, from Russia is going to Germany and Germany is still managed. And I conclude that markets uh, can work if given the right signals. If the Labor government, uh, for instance, had introduced a carbon price, um, then, uh, and carbon scheme, then you could let the markets get on and work it out itself. There is a role for uh, it, it's, a, it's just a difficult topic, and and I think Jim Chalmers wrote an essay which he he must have expected to be controversial, uh, and and I don't wouldn't describe it as a pile on. I think there's been a lot of debate about the idea, and the principal comment that I've paid attention to is that it wasn't really that much good economics in the in essay the from what from what I understand. But let, let's, that's, that's for, probably for another podcast. Uh, if otherwise, uh, this will be very long. <laughs>
1: or another very... Dinner, uh, yes, another long dinner or something like that. Anyway, but um, look, thanks very much, David. Um, thanks to Sam Crafter from um, SA Hydrogen. Um, thanks um, to all our listeners. Thanks, of course, to our sponsors, Pylon and uh, Evergen. And we'll be back with another podcast or uh, another episode of the Energy Insiders podcast next week. Bye for now.
0: Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen